You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. So we're going to talk about work. Who wants to talk about work on Sunday, the day when you don't have to work? Well, maybe you do have to work. I don't know. Some of you come to church and then you have to work, or some people are listening to this or going to listen to this, and they are at work because they have to work on Sundays. But I want to finish off the book of Colossians as a church. I've been preaching through the book of Colossians, and this is the last piece of Colossians. And then I'm going to talk about the Lord's Prayer as we head up towards Thanksgiving and Christmas time. I can't believe it's that time already. But work is huge. Work is a major part of our lives. So I have some video clips to reinforce the point. I spent a lot of time watching all the different video clips that uh, I could show to try to equip. That's one of my jobs, is, according to Ephesians 4.11, is to equip you for works of service, to equip you to follow God's will, to equip you to make a difference in the world. And I feel that what I have to present today will equip you if you do it and uh, totally encourage the people around you and make a huge difference in your life as if, if you work as God has planned. So let's watch this clip. What is work? What is this thing to which we devote most of our waking hours in the prime of our lives? Is it a curse? A punishment? A burden? A responsibility? Why do we work? What is the purpose? To put food on the table. To support our families. To get out of the house, to get rich, to be challenged, to build, to accomplish, to prove oneself, to show the doubters, to achieve, to succeed, to invent, to create, to compete, to conquer, to build wealth, to search for meaning, to leave a legacy, to find identity. But what if there's more? What if we are divinely placed wherever we are? What if it's about what we can give, not just what we get? What if work is an opportunity to worship our Creator and bring Him glory? Not just by the words we say, not just by the quality of our character, but by the excellence of our work. What is work? Work is worship. All right, so is your work worship? When you walk into work, you think, oh, I feel so close to God right now. Oh, these people around me are just helping me do it. This is like heaven on earth. Is that your workplace when you go to work? Is it like that? Probably not for most of you. Or if you're a student, when you walk into school, is it like that? So as I talk about this, I know that some people are workers and some people are students. So let's um, position this or um, set this up for sharing hope at work and school. So for workers and students to do these principles, to do these things. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse um, 22, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. If you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. 
Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. So, the Bible that um, our church doesn't have an official Bible translation. We just use whatever we think is most effective for what we're talking about. So, when Greek and Hebrew is translated, different words are used. Uh, We've been using the New Living Translation a lot because we find that it's a translation that speaks to the people we're trying to reach. So we love church people and we want to help you grow and we know that you will use the Bible that you use. So you can go on Version, uh, the Bible app, and get any Bible translation you want. Some of you have the NIB, the NIB 2011, the New King James Version, the ESV Version, uh, the New American Standard Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, and all those are good translations. And in this uh, section of Scripture, it says slaves and People in our culture are quick to push back on that and say, whoa, so you're telling me the Bible supports slavery? Slavery's bad. Everybody here knows. We're Yankees. Everybody here knows that slavery is not okay. But in the culture of this time, slavery was a little different. Slavery wasn't what um, when Africans were, were kidnapped and stolen and forced into a lifetime of slavery. Back then, um, slaves in the Roman culture were the supportive working class. So the reason I share this is, one, so you don't push back on the word slavery, and two, so that you can apply this passage to yourself as employees and as employers. So they were um, like the domestic servants, day-to-day workers in a household. Tim Keller had written this article about slavery in Bible times, and he says it's more like indentured, indentured servanthood. He writes... Slavery in the Greco-Roman cultures of the New Testament is more like indentured servanthood. It's not what we think of as slavery. When you and I see the word slave in the Bible, you immediately think of 17th, 18th, and 19th century New World slavery, race-based African slavery. When you do that, when you read it through those blinders, you aren't understanding what the Bible's teaching. Historian Murray Harris wrote a book about what slavery was like in the first century Greco-Roman world. He says that in Greco-Roman times, number one, slaves were not distinguishable from anyone else by race, speech, or clothing. They looked and lived like everyone else and were never segregated off from the rest of society in any way. Number two, slaves were more educated than their owners in many cases and many times held high managerial positions. Number three, from a financial standpoint, Slaves made the same wages as free laborers and therefore were not themselves usually poor and often accrued enough personal capital to buy themselves out. Number four, very few persons were slaves for life in the first century. Most expected to be manumitted after about 10 years or by their late 30s at the latest. In contrast, New World slavery, 17th, 18th, and 19th century slavery was race-based and its default mode was slavery for life. Also, the African slave trade was started and resourced through kidnapping, which the Bible unconditionally condemns, 1 Timothy 1, 9-11, and Deuteronomy 24-7. Therefore, while the early Christians like St. Paul discouraged first century slavery, saying to slaves, get free if you can, they didn't go on a campaign to end it, but 18th and 19th century Christians, when faced with New World-style slavery, did work for its complete abolition because it could not be squared in any way with biblical teaching. So the point is that when you hear somebody say, the Bible condones slavery, you say, no, it didn't. Not the way you and I define slavery. It's not talking about that, writes Tim Keller. So slavery, it was something of that culture. Sometimes in 
the Old Testament, when people became slaves, they were given an opportunity to uh, proclaim their allegiance to their master. And the Bible says that if you are a slave and you wanted to proclaim your lifetime allegiance to your master, he could take you to a post and drive an owl through all AWL, uh, you know, pierce your ear, and that would mark you as owned and as a slave for life. Well, now, why would somebody do that? Well, in that time, in that culture, it would be a better place for you to be. If your master took good care of you and allowed you to live on his property and serve him, that would be like the best, that would be like the best employee-employer relationship to know that you were secure in your job, that your master, the person in charge, cared for your boss, cared for you and your family, and you had a place to live, and it was better than what you could do on your own. So um, none of us want to be slaves, but many of us are employees, and we feel like slaves sometimes. All of us seem to answer to somebody. Even owners of corporations often answer to somebody. There's hardly anybody that's totally free to do whatever they want without somebody overseeing them or them being accountable. But because we don't really want to use the word slaves, the ESV version. The English Standard Version, 2011 and 2016 editions. That uses the word bondservant, which would be a better word to fit us today. Uh, not slavery, but bondservant. So these people were servants. Sometimes they were bondservants because they owed a debt that needed to be paid. Sometimes they were bondservants because they were captured in war and then brought to live with the Romans. So there are many different reasons why they would be bond servants. But this was the culture that Paul lived in, that Paul writes in. And so Christ living and dying and rising again sets us free from slavery to sin and also transforms and changes the world. But it wasn't God's intention at that time to totally upset the Roman way of doing things, the Roman economy, the Roman way of the social structure. So Paul is trying to address, after he just addressed in the verses before it, about families, how they should work and how they should care for each other and how they should love one another. And um, this other relationship that was going on in all these households of uh, bond servants and their masters or employees, employers, person, people in charge. So number one, employees, students that do well share hope. So bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So when you're an employee or a student and your boss or your teacher tells you to do something and to work in such a way, then you should do that unless there's some moral reason why you shouldn't do that or why it's you know, against God's principles and then maybe you need to find a different job. But you should do the work. You should do the work in the way they want you to do the work. You should listen to what they say. You might not even always agree with the person in charge of you as to, as to how the work is done, but you, as the uh, submissive employee or student, follow the plan. There was a time as an associate pastor, my actually first ministry opportunity uh, as an associate pastor for a senior pastor of a fast-growing church. I was in the back seat of a car while the senior pastor was saying, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And I'm like, well, I don't think we should. And then the older associate pastor elbowed me and he's like, as associate pastors, we follow the senior pastor's lead. And if not, we go work somewhere else. And that, I mean, that was 20-some years ago, but that thought principle has lasted in my mind as a long time, that God puts certain people in charge and you follow their leadership if that's your role. 
So uh, students should do what they're told by their teachers. Employees should do what they're told by their employers, to obey them in everything, those as your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. So that means that you don't just do it when they're watching. You don't go, oh, here comes the boss. I better work hard now because here comes the boss. Uh, Somebody that worked at a company where they had uh, cameras all around uh, said that, oh, we know where the cameras can't see us in case we want to take a break or, you know, kick back. So they knew the dead zones for the cameras. Well, that's not a good way to work. You should work all the time. You should uh, work all the time as to the Lord. You should do the work knowing that God sees what you do with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So God sees what you do. He sees how you do it. He's the one that can reward you for doing well. When you don't feel appreciated, when you don't feel like your job matters, think about how can you do your job in such a way that it does matter. Think about what is it that you are doing? What service are you providing? What thing are you doing that's making a difference in somebody's life? How are you helping? How are you being an ambassador for Christ? Maybe you in that workplace situation, people see you're different and they might even ask you someday about the hope that you have within you and about Christ in you. Maybe they won't. If they know you're a Christian, they'll often watch you to see if you really act like a Christian. Sometimes they'll even look for ways that you're failing or not doing right so that they can have an excuse not to follow Christ. But to do well. So that whole well thing. Uh, When you're at work, how can you worship God with the way that you do your work? How can you show God His value and do what's right as you serve customers, as you serve people, as you make products, as you invent things? And you totally can bring God to work with you. It isn't God just is available on Sunday, so you pray to Him at church, or then you go to Bible study and pray. But you can pray about your job. So pray about the things that stress you out. Pray about your employee, uh, uh, employers. Pray about um, the uh, co-workers around you, the customers. Pray and ask God to help you, give you insight. If you're trying to invent something, I mean, the Holy Spirit's totally available for that. Ask God to help you in that. If you're looking for the truth, uh, pray that God would reveal that. But you can uh, call on God to help you to accomplish purposes. God gave us all work as a gift. Even in the very beginning, you had Adam in the garden alone, and he wasn't just kicking back, doing nothing. He was working in the garden, and God gave him the uh, opportunity to name all the animals. I'm not really sure how he came up with some of those names, but uh, anyway, it was a job. And we are given work as a gift. Much of a, many of us are much more happy when we have something to do than when we have absolutely nothing to do. Maybe what we're doing is profitable, maybe it isn't, but when we're doing good things, when we're using our lives wisely, it brings us joy and satisfaction. There's uh, a great thing when you can look back on what you've done, the tasks that you've done, and see that you're making a difference. See that you're, because you were there, there is something good that is happening. Something good is getting done. Employees, students that do well, share hope. So, well, are we worshiping God with the way we work? Are we encouraging others? Do we encourage the people around us? Do we encourage the customers? Do they see Christ in us? Are we learning and even teaching others different things? And are we loving people? Are we caring for them and loving them? Uh, sometimes our coworkers can be unlovable, but we do all that we can and know that when it's not going well, that Christ sees what we do and how we do it. So employee, students that do well, share hope. Number two, God will reward you for working as for the Lord. So it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ. 
So our life is in an eternal perspective. So what we do today is um, kind of matters, but we're living for eternity. So when we live for the Lord, when we work for the Lord, when we, when we serve the Lord and all the things that we're called to do, we are going to receive a reward, maybe an eternal reward. Maybe God will see all the work that we do and help us to get advancement. Maybe God will see the work that we do and help us to get a better job. Maybe we should pray about those things. And whether we're not satisfied in our work or if our work is below us or uh, not uh, stimulating enough or satisfying, that we should pray for a different opportunity and a different job. Or we should pray that God would show us how we can get that different job. So me as a pastor, uh, me writing sermons is not more important than the work that you do. Uh, the things that we do all matter, and hopefully, as we are serving people, helping people, doing all that we can, that we will be rewarded and even feel rewarded for the work we do. But whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as a reward. So whatever your job is, I know what some of your jobs are, but when you think about, okay, what can I do to do the best work? What is the work that I'm being asked to do? Sometimes uh, we want to go above and beyond what we're asked to do, which is awesome. We should always try to do that. But sometimes we do stuff that our employer, the person in charge, doesn't want us to do. So we're doing uh, a bunch of things that we weren't asked to do, that they don't want us to do, that uh, we should be clear. Uh, One ministry opportunity that I had, I got up there and they said, we had a job description for you, but we threw it out. Do whatever God calls you to do. If it works, run with it. If it doesn't, try something else. And that was really awesome for a while until I started to wonder, okay, am I really doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing? What is it that this church expects me to do? If I wanted to put points on the board and be blessed in, um, in every way, uh, what, what is it that I'm exactly supposed to be doing? And it always came back to exactly what you are doing. And I'm like, all right, it's great. So um, sometimes you need a job description, sometimes you don't. Sometimes God will put on your heart things that you can do to make a difference in people's lives and at work. And again, when I was in the workplace, I would pray and ask God to help me. And so many times I would come up with ideas or have opportunities or things would just go my way. And the people in charge would be like, where do you come up with these ideas? And first I said, well, I was praying about it. And they looked at me like I was naive and crazy. So then I was like, well, I was just really inspired. And they're like, oh, great, keep it up. So God will reward you. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. So we care for believers at work. We care for believers around us. We want to encourage each other and build each other up. Number three, God will penalize wrongdoers. For the wrongdoers will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So, I mean, sometimes you want to see that happen like right now. It's like, God, you see what this customer has done. Make them pay for it right now. But just know that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and that God will penalize wrongdoers. So if you're mistreated, know that God sees. Uh, pray about that, that God will penalize wrongdoers. Don't be the wrongdoer that God can penalize. We have a ton of resources on this media library that we try to offer you, this Right Now Media service. And there's actually two different forms of it. There's Right Now Media for church people, and there's Right Now Media at work. And they have all of these videos and resources available to you uh, at Right Now uh, Media, including work stuff. And there's like hundreds of videos that can help you become a better boss, help you become a better employee, help you become a better leader in all of these areas. And there's 
I don't know, like seven different series from John Maxwell, who's written a lot of great books on leadership. He used to be a pastor. Here's a two-minute clip from Love and Respect, which was actually made for marriage, but it's been reapplied to work relationships. It's a preview of a video you can watch. There are two elements that are foundational to the long-term success of an organization. As odd as this may sound, they are love and respect. What happens when the manager is feeling, hey, you know what, this employee doesn't respect me? And what happens when an employee is feeling, my manager doesn't care about me? Not really. Each is feeling defensive, but reacts in ways that feel offensive. Employees need to know that management cares, and management needs to know the employees respect them and or their position. When employees feel unloved or uncared for and management feels disrespected, something happens, and I call it the crazy cycle. When we demonstrate an uncaring attitude, we will not motivate employees to respect us. I believe to be a successful business, you have to always put the customer first. Well, we take it on into our business, and that means my employees are my customer. That's who I have to serve. And when I serve them well, I know they're going to serve my customers well. When people are leading as servants, uh, the people underneath them want to work for them. Uh, they, they're motivated and they want to produce the financial results that we need to, to have in order to stay in business. There is an emotional climate and culture of care that needs to be respected. And you'll slow down the crazy cycle. You have power. In fact, you might even stop it. All right, so that's a preview of a series that's available to you on Right Now Media. I strongly encourage you to take advantage of all of those training things that are available. There are so many felt needs that you have and so many things that we can never address as a church, so we offer and pay for that service so that you can have access to that because we want to equip you so that you'll grow in Christ and make a difference. Colossians 4.1, employers or teachers that do well share hope. So masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Knowing that as you are in charge of these people, that you should do what you can to give them fair wages so they can provide for themselves and their families, to give them work assignments that bring them meaning and are fair to them, work assignments that fit them, work assignments that challenge them, Uh, be fair in production and goals and quotas, your expectations and demands. Give them hope and show them ways that they can be promoted. Help them to know exactly what is expected of them and then praise them and compliment them and reward them when they meet those expectations. So many times when you as an employer or a teacher, as someone in charge of someone else, gives the person that's working for you encouragement and hope and value, they will go out of their way to serve you and to make a difference, to help the company to succeed, to help you to succeed, to watch your back, to help you in every way if they know that you're interested in them. And this is a godly thing, a way that we should live. God wants us as leaders, employers, teachers to do well and share hope. So as if you've been given the opportunity to be in charge, uh, worship God through the way you do that. Be an encourager. Uh, Keep learning and teaching your employees or your students what's expected and what to do and help to show love to them. So, number five, God wants you to use your wages or resources faithfully. So as you earn money, as you earn resources, as you gain knowledge, God wants you to use it faithfully. 
Deuteronomy 8.17, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. So remember that whatever you get, receive, you didn't work for it on your own. Uh, God made it possible. I mean, he gave you life. He gave you energy. He gave you breath. Uh, God is the one that ultimately is the provider of the resources that we get. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So you put God first with your finances. You honor God with the first part of your finances and then he provides more. He sees that as an act of worship. Proverbs eleven twenty four: One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Sometimes we look at the bills and all the things that are around us and we're like, oh, we couldn't afford to give back to God. We couldn't afford to be generous. But those people are often ones that come into uh, poverty and difficulty and layoffs. The people that are generous with their finances that give back to God are often the ones that survive layoffs, that find a different job, that continue to work, that are blessed by God financially. You always come out ahead when you put God first. Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap for the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if you're going to be stingy towards God, then God will be stingy towards you. If you're generous towards God, God will be generous towards you. So uh, we're going to end with this. It is a great example of putting God first at your work. Here's someone that's using his creative talent to put God first at his work. And whatever your job is, whatever you do, you can find ways to honor God with the way that you serve and to see work as worship and to see that you can make an eternal difference in the place that God has put you in your workplace. So after this, the worship team will come forward. When I was a freshman in college, I really, really started to study um, God's Word, and I really started to think about what He wanted me to do with my life. He'd given me some talents and abilities, and I thought, how, how can I use those? What, what, what am I on this earth to do? I've always drawn growing up as a kid. I uh, would draw every time I got a chance. Even in church, I was drawing. And so that's when I really started to think about animation and film and, and how I can use some of what I've been given with drawing and, and really get into that. I graduated with a film degree, put together a portfolio and a demo reel and submitted it to a local studio here in Dallas. Luckily, after six months of trying and submitting my work, they finally allowed me to come in. I came in as an intern getting to work on things like you know, Kung Fu Panda and uh, Shrek commercials and Open Season 2, Open Season 3 for Sony. It was a great experience. Throughout my career, getting to work on commercials, feature films, short films, all fantastic. Great creatively, great artistically, really challenging as an artist and as an animator. And having been a fan, a huge fan of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia, I really started to think about how can I use my life, how can I use my talents to tell stories that, yes, are both entertaining but also purposeful, that have more meaning? I left that job and I decided it's time to start a studio that told these kinds of stories, these more meaningful, purposeful stories. So together, my partners and I started Brazen Animation. In the Old Testament, when the priests would go into the tabernacle, what they would offer sacrifices on is called the Brazen Altar. And the Brazen Altar, obviously, is the thing that they would bring their best to God. It was their absolute best. That really resonated 
with us and the fact that you can bring your best to God, that idea of bringing your best to God and what that symbolized. And so we strive for greatness in our work, for greatness in our storytelling, greatness in our art, greatness in our work, how we deal with each other. We want to not just tell a good message, but we want to be an example to the Christian world, the secular world, the whole world. We want to push the quality level of those stories. A lot of faith-based content, to be honest with you, from a, a, a production value and, and a quality level, I would say it's not very good, frankly. The message may be good, but the quality level and the production value is not good. And that's something that is very, very frustrating as a Christian for me. As, as Christians, we've forgotten that God did not make us to be mediocre. We want to take the talents we've been given that God gave us, and we want to we continue to push those because He's made us to be great. Clients will approach us sometimes and, and, and say, hey, can you do this project that has lots of gore and blood and guts, or can you do something that has lots of, lots of sexual innuendo or even just flat-out sexuality, and we have to turn those jobs down. After we explain it, you know, they understand. They're, they're disappointed, but they understand, and, and we leave on good terms with them, but obviously we're not going to promote those types of negative values with our work, whether Christian or not, because we do have some non-Christians here. They believe in what we're doing, and um, it is, is a great thing. We have very candid conversations every day about the content, what we're producing, the meaning behind it. We don't want to be preachy with our content, and we manage the studio in the same way. So just my daily behavior, just my daily walk, um, and how I conduct myself with my staff, with my crew, with the studio, will show them Jesus Christ. God made me to do animation and to tell stories and to make film the best that I can possibly make them. And so we are here to do those things. And so everyone here comes here and they're passionate about the work and about creating great work. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church, 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find more messages to listen to, and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.